This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. In the summer of 2018, I recorded a series of conversations with Brian Kleiben that have never been released. They were actually put in the vault and they were never going to be released until now. I'm unlocking the 343 vault and I'm sharing this one conversation with you. Here's the deal. Each conversation that Brian and I recorded was designed to build off of an already released series of short podcast episodes. You might remember some of those. I labeled them coaching and there was 11 episodes. And if you don't remember, I've provided links to all 11 of those valuable episodes in the write-up of this podcast. It's available on 343coaching.com. But those episodes were short and they were my voice and my thoughts. And to be polite, I don't know shit compared to Brian. So after releasing all of those short episodes, I wanted to dive even deeper and extract more information from him because he sees the game and talks about the game so much differently. So I got Brian on the phone and we got into the specifics about a bunch of those topics that I had already talked about on the podcast. And then I pretty much locked those in a treasure chest and buried them. Here's why I'm digging these episodes up though. The other day I went to watch a live game with Brian. It was Chile versus Argentina. And it was a great reminder that he operates on a completely different level. For example, on a corner kick, I was watching how the team set up and so was he. But as the play started to happen, he commented that the left back had won the last several 2v1 battles when the attacking team decided to play short. The attacking team did it again. And again, the left back, outnumbered, won the battle. We've joked that we should just mic Brian up while he's watching a game so people can listen to his commentary. And we still might do that someday. But for now, we are just going to open up the vault and let you hear Brian discuss the topic of vision. So what you're going to hear next is the original podcast episode that I released in 2018. My voice, my my thoughts on, on the game, coupled with some of the stuff uh, that Gary has written about the topic as well. You may have heard that before. If you have, go ahead, skip ahead, um, because it is immediately followed by my conversation with Brian. And I cannot stress how valuable it is to listen to high-level practitioners, the words they use, and how they describe different moments of the game. That, above everything else, has been the best part of the experience that I've had with 343. And if you want to hear more from Brian, you can sign up for the 343 free primer course that gives you seven lessons and introduces you to the 343 methodology. Or if you want something even more powerful that can really help accelerate your coaching education, you can sign up for 343's premium coaching education course. And that gives you access to an entire library of video and audio content featuring Brian himself coaching some of the best players in the country. Alex Mendez, Ulianes, Efra Alvarez, just to name a few. And it's not fake stuff either. It's the real training sessions and real games with Brian mic'd up for all of it. There is no other learning tool like this available in American soccer coaching education. And it's available for a fraction of the price of everything else that's out there. To learn more about the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, that's it for the intro. I hope that you are ready for this and I hope that you enjoy 
this episode of the 343 podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The idea behind this new series is to dig deep into the archives of 343coaching.com and extract the best and most essential pieces of information that will help you become a better coach. And we are going to focus on three specific pillars of coaching. Those pillars are philosophy, activities, and execution. Having a better understanding of those three pillars and how they intersect and overlap with each other is going to help bring you and your coaching to a new level. And for this very first episode of this new series, we are going to start things off with some philosophy. And specifically, we are going to talk about vision. Vision is a good jumping off point for this new series. We've talked about it in the free seven-week course, and we've touched on it in blog posts and on podcasts and in live presentations. But what Gary Kleiben wrote about and what he says about vision will help set the stage for the future of this podcast series. So let's start with something that he wrote. And I quote, it starts with vision, having a vision and having vision. Now, those are two different things. And Gary went further and referenced the presentation that he gave at a live 343 event in Las Vegas in 2015. And he asked, what does having a vision mean? Well, this essentially means that you have role models clearly established in your mind. He said a few driving models for 343 are possess like Barcelona, counterattack like Real Madrid, and press like Chile. And for serious practitioners that want to bring a model to life in their own teams, they must deconstruct those role models in order to understand how to train their players. So having a vision is kind of like having a roadmap. It's a crucial ingredient if you want long-term success. But what does having vision mean? Gary explained it like this. Do you see what's going on during the action? If you are watching a game as a scout, a spectator, or a student, Can you decipher what's going on? And he went on to say that if you can indeed see and decipher what's happening on the field, then you can actively give meaningful instruction to your players, be prepared to provide legitimate feedback at halftime, and make adjustments as necessary. And those include substitutions, player assignments, system changes, and so much more. So having a vision and having vision are two separate but related and integral parts of being a successful coach. And I'll give you a personal example because a lot of coaches want to play possession-based, attractive, attack-minded soccer, but aren't sure where to start. And I was one of those coaches. I remember when I was coaching a JV boys soccer team and I had access to an incredible forward. And I say access because he was actually on the varsity team, but he was a freshman. So he would come down and play with us on the JV team from time to time. And he could do magical things. But when he played with us, we relied heavily on his individual skill and we would literally kick it to him and hope for the best. But I remember taking the team to a tournament just a short drive away and We did exactly that. We kicked it to him the entire first half. And at halftime, I remember talking to the team 
and telling them that we couldn't rely on just one person. We couldn't just kick the ball forward and watch him do the work. We had to connect passes and we had to work as a team. But at that time, I was only 20 years old and I was brand new to coaching. And I was barely starting to develop my vision of how I wanted my team to play. And my practices at the time did not match that vision. I wasn't anywhere near uh, where I needed to be in order to lead that team. And it took a while, but eventually I dialed it in. And over the next several years, my vision did come to life. And by that time, I was coaching a high school girls team. The girls and I worked relentlessly to perfect how we wanted to build out of the back and how we wanted to attack on the other end of the field. And we had specific role models and we would do our best to train and play like them. And I started to use a very small set of training activities over and over again. And those activities all translated directly to how I wanted the girls to play in games. It fit the vision. Everything we worked on blended together to cover the entire field from front to back, side to side, with and without the ball. Everything fit into the vision. And we would work on building out of the back every single practice. And eventually the goalkeeper playing short instead of kicking the crap out of it became part of our identity. And we started to get really good at it. And we started to execute and bring that vision to life in games consistently. And we had created a solid foundation that we never stopped reinforcing because it was the foundation of that vision that wore the other teams down. And it was the foundation of that vision that took our opponents by surprise sometimes. And it was the foundation that sometimes made things look easy. But it was the foundation of that vision that became our true identity as a team. So a lot of coaches want to play possession-based, attractive, attack-minded soccer, but they aren't sure where to start. So here's my one piece of advice. If you are like me and you are like one of those coaches and you aren't sure where to start, start with vision. So Brian, on the, uh, on the podcast, I've talked about why having a vision is so important for a coach. And I've given the examples that I've heard you use over the years. And those examples are possessing like Barcelona and pressing like Chile and counterattacking like Real Madrid. Those are, those are three things that have impacted your vision, or I think have impacted your vision. But I wanted to talk to you about how and when you decided to follow those examples and how that impacted the way that you coach. Um, and then maybe if you can give me and some of the other coaches some advice on crafting our own vision for our own teams. So what do you got for me? Absolutely. So I, I want to add to that. I want to build on that vision. And, and I think defending like Atletico Madrid and Cholo Simeone should be thrown into that mix now. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, no, it's been a consistent thing that, that me and a lot of my colleagues admire. And there's a lot of content online about Simeone and, and, you know, his sessions and the intensity and the tenacity, which, which, you know, he, he brings to the table and, and the players are a reflection of him as a player. So that's always a nice thing. I mean, I like to be the protagonist and have the ball and not have to defend, but when your team uh, has to, you know, is, is, uh, 
his is is inferior to your opponent and you have to plan for this like i think that's a good reference point to have and obviously yesterday we saw atletico madrid go down to 10 men within 10 minutes against arsenal and those guys dug deep and besides the result if you analyze the game itself like they're making plays in their boxes like crazy inside their 18 they're blocking crosses they're blocking shots they're winning headers and yeah the collective is 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 an unbelievable thing john so that's not where I want to be, but I think we should throw that into there. That's something remarkable as well. Okay, well then we can get, we can get into that as well. I, I I want to focus on when you first started coaching, though, or when you first started to create your own vision. So I'm assuming that you were like most of us, where you kind of fumbled around in the in the first part of your of uh, your coaching career, and you didn't really have a direction at first, or maybe you did. Um, what or when did you start to have some type of a vision or when did you realize that you did have a vision so john no good question and listen ironically uh just giving that thought right now is the first thing that comes to mind is yeah when i started coaching back in in 0304 it coincided with the same time where where argentina the national team had marcelo bias in charge and both Gary and myself, you know, fell in love with that team and, and the way they play their football, right? They they were the aggressor. They dictated the game from beginning to end, no matter who the opponent was or where the game was played. And yeah, that's something that I identified with a lot. And, and yeah, when I ran into coaching during that time, I was like, this is what I want my team to look like, right? Uh, irrelevant of the formation, irrelevant of the opponent, irrelevant of, you know, the 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 climate or the altitude argentina stepped on the field to eat the opponent alive and and i like that that's the type of player that 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 i was and that's the 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 reflection that i wanted in my team so yeah that's kind of the vision i had argentina back in those days cruised through world cup qualifying setting all the records you know they faltered come the world cup they got bounced out of the group stages in 02 and japan japan uh korea world cup and then yeah, it's an automatic in Argentina. If, if you fail to have a good World Cup, you get fired. But such was the the backing of the players in in this guy and in that style. And but the guy survived. He was offered another contract. He continued and he won the Olympics in 04. Same type of football, same philosophy, same vision. And and then, yeah, he, he stepped down. He felt like he was burned out and couldn't give, you know, his full 100% of the national team. So, I mean, that inspired me, man. That, that was my inspiration. I had the fortune of, you know, in 2004, kind of in that same time frame, going to Peru and watching the entire tournament and sneaking into all their sessions. I think that's been talked about over the years. So, yeah, right at the beginning of my coaching career, I kind of hijacked and jacked a lot of the things that he would do with the national team. And, you know, I wanted my team to, to, to have that uh, same identity. When you were sneaking in watching those sessions, what stood out to you the most? And, and did you take notes at all or did you take pictures? How did you capture all that information that you were, that you were absorbing, I'm sure, at that point and no, bring that back to the United States with you? No, so both. Like, yeah, obviously, I mean, it's been talked about a lot that I'd sneak in. I'd pay like Coca-Cola workers to go place the, the sponsorship signs on the side of the field. Yeah, I'd have my little notepad. You know, obviously I knew what I was watching, but there was so much going on with BSS sessions that there's so many details. 
just the thing that struck out at me was yeah the pressing because his teams would would full court press in unison and and that's kind of where we hijacked most of our our core exercises from that are in the curriculum uh yeah his build outs his his dynamic play you know interchanging positions all these things that they would work on you know and obviously throughout a tournament you have very little time of you know of real sessions in between games you know most of them were recovery sessions or match prep sessions but there's at least one session in between games to kind of focus on their identity and the thing that stood out the most and that still to this day applies with with him is most of his sessions don't involve the entire team training at the same time they're they're trained in blocks you know the defenders train in a certain time period, then the midfielders show up, they train, then the forwards show up, they train. Very, very seldom do they all train at the same time. And, you know, they train such details in terms of what he wants to be executed on the field that it all comes together later, you know, when they join together in one session before the game. And obviously you see the identity on the field. Is that something that you adopted yourself with your teams? I did at first. I did. I had the luxury of having, you know, a couple of assistant coaches always, you know, at my side that that's a luxury. So while I focus specifically on one group, I'd have those guys do different exercises with, with my assistant coaches. So yes, way back in the day, it was a lot of, uh, you know, functional based sessions that BS I would do, you know, and listen, you know, along the years and through my other experiences, you know, and we talked about, what my ideal vision and team looks like, you know, had the fortune of the Barcelona adventures and I'd incorporate a lot of that stuff. And then you add your own little twists and flavors to it. So yeah, John, I've kind of blended it all together and, and that's where we're at now. And we're still in, in the learning phase and, and adopting new methods. Can you talk about your Barcelona trips as well? So for, for those people that are listening that don't know what you did or the experiences that, that you had the opportunity to go and, and take part in, describe what you what you saw and then maybe again talk about like what were some of the biggest takeaways for you as a as a I, I'm assuming a fairly new coach at that time still, right? Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's kind of like the the curtain was lifted and blinders came off in terms of so many details of the game, right? So Obviously, Barcelona, their methodology and the possession-based systems and the 4-3-3, all the details from the regular rondos and, you know, highlighting the details of the rondo, not just getting together and doing a circle keep away or, or a box game, right? How to receive the ball, you know, the speed of pass, the weight of pass, the direction of the pass, um, reading your, your, your own team at a cross from you in the rondo, the defensive intensity in the rondo. So all those little details that one doesn't think of when you're first starting out, you know, just were amazing from the U9 levels all the way to the senior team. So you can see how they have their uniform identity and how easily it translates from team to team and group to group and coach to coach. So the progression for the players is something that's phenomenal there. Um, yeah, then put positional possession games. So everything position specific, right? If you're a two, you're put in situations where you're going to see it in a game as a two. You're not doing the job of a six or a nine or a seven, you know, and, and that directly translates to to the fluidity in their game, right? So positional games, uh, attacking patterns, uh, uh, yeah, unopposed. Like a lot of people knock on why is it done unopposed. Like most of their stuff there is done unopposed because they want it ingrained in their brain and they want the collective to understand what their jobs are all over the field, right? So – 
those things really, really stood out. And what really stood out as well is how almost every team is working the same way. So these guys, by the time they're U18, U19, reserve team or first team players, they've been doing it for over a decade and they understand. Just remarkable to see. And it's a unique club and I don't think it's done that way anywhere else in the world, but it works for them. And obviously the proof is in the pudding and the, the generation of players they've created over the last 10, 20 years. And this all stems back to the Cruyff days. So, yeah, just just a complete different perspective that yeah has enhanced player development for me, and and I, I think it's translated a lot to the players that I've worked with. Now, having that experience in Peru, getting a chance to watch Marcelo Bielsa work, and then having these opportunities to go to Barcelona and and see how their academy and their and their B team and their first team operated. Maybe, maybe I'm jumping the gun there and, and telling people more about your experience than than they already know, but. Um, how how did you, I guess, marry those two experiences to create your own vision? What did you take from each of those that brought you into your next step of coaching? No, like I said, the key, John, is, you know, what we started the conversation as and what we've talked about in conferences is having a vision of what you like. So it doesn't mean that that's the right way, that it's the only way. It's it's the way that, that I want to see football played. So the Barcelona has uh, a repressing tendency because they have so much of the ball and they have all their players in, in the opponent's territory that it's easier to press and repress. But they don't do it with the same intensity regardless of the opponent that, that Bielsa did. So I kind of stuck to Bielsa there. Like, I want to press no matter who, what, where, when, why. Um, in terms of build-out and patience, in terms of your possession, Bielsa's teams were a lot more vertical. It's just attack, 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 attack. And it's always at, at a dynamic pace where Barcelona kind of changes it. They, they, they put you to sleep with 10, 15, 20 passes. They move you side to side to create opportunities and overloads. And they break you down that way. So, you know, offensively, in terms of those tendencies, I, I stuck a little bit more with Barcelona's strengths. And the moment to transitions, it's a little bit of both because both schools, the Biesa school and the Barcelona school are – very, very good at, at their offensive and defensive transition. So, yeah, man, it's it's ultimately what you like and the, the football that, that attracts you. And bottom line is, you know, the content, the, the, the training sessions, and the delivery is the most important part. When you were able to do those the, or have those experiences uh, abroad and you come back and you're working in your own environment and you're refining what you like, was there – any point where you kind of sat down and reflected and, and maybe wrote down a specific vision or, or kind of wrote down what was working and not working or was it all just kind of just on the fly or, you know, very casual? No, the good question. No, the, the, the more you reflect after each session, after every performance game, whether you're critiquing your players, you're critiquing the collective performance, you're critiquing yourself and your decisions, the more you do that and, and, I mean, we have the luxury of having a staff that, that's always been together for years. Way back when, from the, the inception of it all, you know, with Gary and, and John Esham and those colleagues to the current day with, with Danny Rogers, with Gary, with yourself, with Andrew May, with Mike Munoz. So, yeah, the more you can reflect and write things down, the better you are. And, no, I, I would do that a lot. I would, it's weird. It's like I have my pad and I scratch everything down. And I kind of made my own little journal at first of 
all the exercises and all the things that I like and what I would do and what worked and what didn't work. And then, John, I kept building on that over the years, right? Like, I think I verbalized that whenever there's anything in L.A. and usually national teams would come here or, or the International Champions Cup with all the, the top European teams. Anytime you can get to see a high-level session, you go and you do it. I mean, it's it's funny. People laugh, but you can take something away from anything. Even you know, if you go watch college sessions, if you go watch MLS sessions, USL sessions, academy sessions, club sessions. I I've even throughout my coaching experience in the early days, there was a a, a guy that would coach girls club soccer out here in the valley, and like his girls teams played a lot better than all the other girls teams, and I was like, interesting. So. You know, I'd, I'd spotlight this guy, and in the warm-ups, he'd do a shitload of technical work. It was like he was having a session in the warm-ups. So <laughs> I drew – no, I, I drew from him a lot too in, in my early days and, and doing technical work and training sessions and pregame and getting the players engaged and sharp before the game. So, yeah, man, I mean, if, if you're an open book and you, and you want to learn, you can always take something from, from just about anybody in any session. I'm curious about your your book and like your like your journaling or record keeping though. What what specifically would make you like move your pen? So if you're watching and, and you're getting ready to write something, like what is it that made you made you actually physically write something down? Mostly, mostly when things are adverse or things didn't work out the way I'd like, right? So we we'd go and recap after at El Torito or wherever we'd go. And that's where I take my notes. Like, hey, John, what did you see today? Hey, Gary, what did you see today? Hey, whoever's there, you know, associated in helping the team, the goalkeeper coach, you know, kind of collectively, we decide what was good, what was bad about the session. And I think I've said this a lot. There's very few times, John, where I walk away even today from a session. I'm like, yes, things went smoothly, perfectly. It was executed. And I walk away happy. And I know guys absorbed it. They recorded it and they applied it. And come Saturday and Sunday, there is no fucking chance for the other team. There's very few times where I'm like, yes, it's perfect. So the the days where it's not good is, is mostly the time I reflect and I try to improve it and critique myself, whether it's the delivery of the message, whether it's a session, whether it's the spacing of the session, what went wrong, whether my explanation wasn't good. And over the years, I think one of the best things that I've come across that I've learned and I apply always, whether it's running a you know, a, a coaching course, a symposium, my own sessions. It came from a, a Mexican coach, an experienced guy that did Chivas USA for, for a short time. And he would always explain what was going to happen right before the session. And then he would explain it again. He would talk it through. Then you would walk it through and then you would go live. And then the players know exactly what the expectation is and what needs to be done. Right. So, I, that if there's something I can advise in terms of that for for young coaches or even old coaches, experienced coaches, the better you can paint the picture early, the better it's going to be in terms of its execution come session, and the better it'll be in terms of adopting it and applying it come the weekend. I'm I'm really curious because that's a that's a good example that you give like of like painting a picture. What goes into like the preparation for for painting that picture though? And I'm trying to I guess I'm trying to keep this with the idea of having a vision in mind. So like what do, what do coaches specifically need to do or need to have at their disposal in order to paint that picture appropriately? Ooh, um, listen, yeah, you said it. 
to, to have the clear vision of what you want to accomplish during your session or, or for your team's identity and to be able to translate and deliver that message, whether it's building out of the back, right? And explaining the, like the organization of your exercise, right? If we're doing the generic, the, the very general building out of the back in terms of the spacing and, you know, the cones and why we move together as a unit and why the weak side outside back shrinks while we're on offense and the balls on the, on the opposite side, you got to be able to explain it thoroughly and convincingly so that the players understand and they understand their individual roles and the collective roles. That's something that, that I've always tried to do is listen, if we're working on building on the back, it's a collective thing. We're not individual players. We're the back six, the back five, the back four plus a holding mid and the goalkeeper. And we all think alike. We all move together. It's all in unison. If we flip the script and it's, you know, the front guys pressing, why we do it together, why the seven has to come when all the way over when the 11 is pressing the other teams right back. You know, if you can paint the picture as to the whys and, and go slowly and talk it through, walk it through and then execute it, the players have a clear understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. Right. I don't know if that ex- that's a clear explanation or what you were looking for, John. No, I th- I, I I think that is that is a good a good answer because you talked about the whys and and basically having a vision is is the starting point and then figuring out the whys along the way is is really like the next the next steps. So uh, if if maybe let's see because you said you started coaching around two thousand and two, so you're about fifteen years into this now. So fifteen years into this, if you if you look back. Uh, to your your first, I don't know, year, two years coaching, what is maybe one thing or one piece of advice that you would give yourself back then if, you, if you're if you able to kind of talk from your experience now to your newbie coach self then? Wow. Um, first off, I, I thought I, I had all the answers back then and my God, I was a disaster reflecting back, right? So what advice can I give now? I think the key is sticking to your principles, right? And, and John, for me, for me, it's, I'm so passionate about, you know, playing a certain way and, and, and having my teams interpret and understand that. So I think I said it uh, in this conversation, the team is a reflection of you. And, and that's something that I was told very early in my coaching career. And that's something that I've taken serious because if I'm passive, if I don't put in the work, if I don't know what content I'm trying to to deliver and, and apply, and if I'm not confident in what I'm doing, then my team's not going to be confident. My team's going to be passive. My team's not going to work hard. So I try to lead by example, and that's that's the best advice I can give everybody. So you know, if this is your passion and and you're all in with coaching, keep educating yourself. Be prepared. Have a plan. Have a vision. And listen, you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have good days and bad days. Just stick to your principles. And look, there's an evolution in this. So just because you started out one way doesn't mean you're going to finish that same way. And and that's where I'm still at, currently molding it. And, and that's why the, the start of this conversation talked about, you know, the vision, the identity. And I threw in defending and I threw in Atletico Madrid because that's something that, that you're going to be faced with, you know, throughout the, the course of your coaching career. It depends on what team you're coaching, maybe you're not going to have the most talented team. Maybe you are going to get pinned back. Maybe you are going to have to suffer and you got to, you got to have your team ready for all situations. 
I like that you said that that there's an evolution and it's and basically saying that it's okay to evolve because there's going to be coaches that that you know get exposed to this at various points along their coaching journey and i would say you know it's it's probably fair to say a lot of coaches will pick this up at the beginning of their journey but there's also going to be coaches that pick this up 5 10 15 even 20 years into their coaching journey so maybe how how can somebody that's been in this game for so long how can how can they find assistance or how can they find help with their vision or creating a new vision or just evolving what what advice do you have for those coaches john i I think it comes down to the individual person and and yeah their their belief and their philosophy of the game so off the cuff like um, i want to throw an example like i usually do and i don't know the guy on a personal basis nor do i know how he thinks but i just have read a, a couple of his books is Mourinho. Mourinho in in you know, one of his main starting points was being a translator for FC Barcelona under Bobby Robson and then under Louis van Gaal. And yeah, he was at FC Barcelona. And I'm sure when he was there, he's like, yes, this is the way, this possession-based system, attacking style soccer. I'm sure that's where he started. And when he started applying his, his, uh, his craft, that's his first starting point. We fast forward down the line and, like Mourinho's current philosophy and, and, and beliefs and methodology couldn't be farther from what FC Barcelona is, right? So there's no right or wrong way. I think you you forge your own path and and ultimately, yeah, go with what you believe in, right? Philosophical differences are going to be there, John, and, and I battle this every day within my own club right now. I mean, you just gotta you gotta stick to your guns and also, like you said, have the flexibility to to listen and evolve because that's a big big part of coaching. It's hard to answer that question because here I am, twenty years in, and if somebody comes and says, "Brian, no, this this possession based shit is old school. It's not working." I'm gonna have to be convinced otherwise to 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 change myself. So I, I hate trying to be a change agent and tell people that this is the only way, but for me, in terms of player development, at the very least, this is the best way, right? In terms of having the ball, getting many, as many touches as possible, having an individual and collective understanding to improve your game. I think that is a is a good point for us to stop right there with having or talking about having a vision because the next thing that we'll talk about in in the next episode is actually going to be about like the the trial and error cycle and that's kind of what you hinted at about Mourinho and over the course of his uh his time and and different stops along the way and and you have a very similar um I think experience moving from place to place to place and and having your your vision be uh, tested and your philosophy be tested along the way. So next time we're going to talk about uh, the trial and error process and, and how you've kind of dialed in what works for you and what works for your team and how that has ended up with what you have today.
All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.